We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome into this episode of the Brew Who podcast. We had to sound the alarms and we all woke up when the big trade went down and then we just said, well, we this can probably wait till Sunday, I guess, still. Uh, but, uh, we, you know, this is our version of, uh, I guess, uh, the the emergency pod. So, uh, but, you know, obviously we're all still hype over this Raptors win that just happened and uh, we'll also dive into some trade details later, but um, for now, I'll, I'll just say that Adam Paris, myself, uh, you know, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com is joined by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman as usual. Thanks guys for, for fitting this into your schedule. Uh, I mean, you have to be hype after this Raptors win. It might be the season defining win. I know it's a little early, but come on. <laughs> is it too crazy to say that? I mean, to go in there to finally have the game where Kawhi and Giannis both play and to hang tough on the road and get the W, I think that's big. Plus all the like tiebreaker scenarios down the road. So I think it is going to be a pretty big win in the context of the season. And Kyle, I know you're tending to the hype train, but uh, if you could just like give us your, your thoughts and, and feedback on how you're feeling after this one. It was slowing down a little, kind of lost a little bit of steam, but that's fine. Uh, we got more coal. Hype train is in full effect. Everything's going well. And um, the Bucks are the best team in the East. And you can go ahead and at me. I don't care. Malcolm Brogdon came out of that timeout reading Kyle's piece about how he was useless <laughs> and hit those two threes. No problem. It's tr- it's truly incredible. The uh, we're gonna look back on really that maybe as the season defining moment <laughs> where it really turned around for Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, <laughs> he's I think he's probably over fifty percent now on the season from three. It's just been absolutely ridiculous. But uh, for anyone who didn't tune in uh, or somehow didn't check Twitter or a box score, which I think would be unbelievable at this point. The Bucks uh, defeated the Raptors 104 to 99. Um, Bucks had a pretty big lead late in the fourth quarter and Raptors went on a good run to make it close. And then uh, Bucks had it basically had it tied. And then down the stretch, it was Malcolm Brogdon coming to the rescue, hitting two huge threes off uh, passes, one from Middleton and uh, he he really was left wide open on the perimeter, and it it showed that the Bucks' offense really, which had had looked a little stagnant in the fourth quarter, had stalled out, and then they were able to find some good looks late. Giannis had a monster dunk off an inbounds play, and then that sort of sealed the fate for the Raptors. So, Kyle, what were some of your just early impressions, uh, really quickly, that you took away from this one? Uh, this was a game of two heavyweight teams. It was a heavyweight battle. Um, you know, you had Toronto; they were coming out. Serge Ibaka once again just hitting pick and pop threes. Uh, Giannis didn't, it didn't seem like he was really getting into a rhythm until the third quarter. Um, you know, big player, everyone was hitting shots, you know, Brogdon, Milton, Brooke Lopez, Sterling Brown had a few, like everyone was making key plays and it was on both sides. I mean, you saw Kawhi defensively just smother Middleton near the end. Fred Van Vliet was able to get a lot of layups. So it was as a neutral, I think that's going to be a game that, if you didn't watch, you're going to kind of regret. Um, and, you know, this is what happens when you have the two best teams in the East playing each other. It's going to be close. And just when the Bucks thought they were going to maybe pull away and they're up 11 at one point, Toronto storms back. And it was a good game to watch, and I'm glad the Bucks won. But it this is what happens with good teams playing each other. It's kind of going to be a nervy finish all the time. 
Yeah, this was, I thought it was a spectacular game to watch with lots of really intriguing chess battles sort of going on between the two coaches and the players on the court. Riley, what stuck out to you from this one? I'd say the main thing for me, I mean, obviously, as Kyle kind of touched on, slow start on the offense or kind of throughout the game, actually. I think that can be kind of attributed to the fact that they have Kawhi, they have Danny Green, they have Serge Ibaka, three guys who are pretty good defensively. But the one thing that I noted throughout was just how well Sterling Sterling Brown played tonight. And then the fact that he's also gotten minutes in lieu of um, Pat Connaughton and Dante. And I think that kind of just spotlights how much relative depth there is, at least for the bench guards. And the fact that, you know, if one guy's kind of having a cold stretch, then you can swap in another guy and see if he can figure it out. And if he doesn't, then you got a third guy to swap it in there. So um, I think, Strong performances overall from like the main guys that you would expect tough offensively, but you work it out and that's kind of the nature of a high stakes game. But I think it was promising given the fact that they had not as much depth with the trade having happened. Um, and yet you were still able to get through with Sterling Brown, who seems to be kind of finding his place. So uh, that would be my big takeaway from tonight. Yeah, the wing rotation is really fascinating to me. The fact that Pat Connaughton got only five minutes tonight. Sterling Brown basically led that parade of backup wings that you were talking about he had 22 minutes also seven rebounds on the night which is a really good number and you know spectacular and of course the raptors play a little smaller so it's a little easier for a guy like brown to get rebounds but that was really good nonetheless a team high plus 12 for sterling tony snell was doing stuff started to try to do a little bit too much stuff in the fourth quarter i don't think i've ever seen tony snell feel himself but i think he kind of was <laughs> late in that game uh, i think that coast to coast finish that he had really put him in some sort of mindset, which is fine by me. You know, I, I have plenty of Tony Snell stock, so that paid off there. Dante, of course, uh, DNP coach's decision again tonight. You know, the interesting thing, if you look at the stats, the Bucks at halftime were, were blazing from three. They had made 11 threes by halftime. Uh, you know, we're shooting over 50%. Uh, that obviously comes down significantly in the second half. They end at 38.5%. Also only make four three-pointers in the second half. Two of those, of course, the big clutch ones from Brogdon late. Raptors make the same amount of three-pointers, 15 for 44. It's actually pretty interesting how comparable a lot of the stats are across the board here, and that points to what you were talking about, Kyle, is that you know when you get two teams like this together, it, it really ends up being a fascinating chess match there. You saw the Raptors go late a bunch to the pick and roll with, with Leonard and Lopez, uh, and then, of course, the, the they tried their gambit with their aggressive work on the inbounding, trying to force the Bucks not to be able to just waste time. And that sort of blew up in their face with, Gian- with Giannis going in there at the end. So, you know, Kyle, I think that the, the best part to me about this game is that it showed that the Bucks were able to claw back and execute late against a team of this, of this quality. Yeah, it was definitely something that the Bucks were struggling with a lot. Uh, you can kind of see in the, the next game a few weeks ago, the Suns, it just seemed like when the Bucks were in a tight situation, it kind of just froze up. It seemed like shots weren't able to fall. A lot of iso balls, just nothing could go right. So to see that be on the other side, it's an encouraging. It's an encouraging development. I mean, Brogdon hitting two threes back to back certainly helps. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how much of their late game execution struggles were just a blip, or is, if it's a more worrying trend down the season. And this game was just an exception. Aren't you guys heartened at all by the fact that last year, if we were like, whatever, needed a clutch basket, 
couple last seconds in the fourth quarter and like we go to the timeout and you have to have kid or whoever the hell some dude off you know in the stands is drawing up the play and then you know tonight is a perfect example of how much a difference having butt on the sideline as the guy who draws up the plays makes in the fact that you're able to get that kind of you know, backdoor Giannis inbounds pass that Siakam isn't able to cover. And then there goes the dunk. And now the Raptors are forced to kind of switch it up. They have no timeout. So I think that right there is super critical and is, you know, that'll help out as the season goes on and then into the playoffs with having the ability to at least have a shot at coming up with a pretty creative play to get you something at the end. Yeah. Especially when they were able to short circuit, whatever he had for the first one, first first plan and then Middleton had to get that timeout when he picked up his dribble at half court. So obviously incredibly heartening to see Bud be able to pull something out, out of his bag of tricks to get an easy bucket for the Bucks. who, if you look at just the strength of schedule, Bucks are have the 10th, have had the 10th hardest schedule in the league so far. This per basketball reference rafters are at the 25th hardest schedule so far. They said on the broadcast today, which I know some people did not like the Raptors broadcast, but there was some part of me that found it a little endearing. If anyone was watching it, I don't know the color commentator guy, like going off, like uh, the guy on CBS college basketball that says onions. I forget his name, but that's kind of what he sounded like him, like randomly shouting Snickers really loudly into the mic. I don't know. I I was kind of okay with that. I was confused why this dude from Boston was on the broadcast. Like, I was, the entire evening, I kept on like mocking him, which is horrible of me, but you can't help it with that dude's accent going on. Yeah, yeah. The, it was really the accent that kind of made it a little more palatable, palatable to me. So glad. Fox Sports, Wisconsin. So glad. Yeah, yeah, that was probably the smart move. Well, well, obviously this is a huge win for the Bucks, but a lot bigger topic, especially among Bucks fandom, is the big trade that went down on Friday. It basically broke late Friday afternoon. John Henson and Matthew Delavadova, RIP, have departed from the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'll just give a, a basic breakdown. Obviously, I'm sure many of you know it, but I'll just run through it here before I let you guys lay down your thoughts. So. The logistics of the trade are that the Bucks get George Hill, who is under contract for $18 million this year, $18 million as well next year, but only $1 million of that is guaranteed. So basically the Bucks could jettison him before free agency and they would only have to pay him you know, $1 million if they got rid of him. Bucks also get Jason Smith, a center from Washington. They get a 2021 second round pick, which is Cleveland's. Basically the Bucks swapped their 2021 second round picks with Cleveland and then uh, as part of the Jason Smith transaction, they also got Washington to remove the protections that were on the 2020 second round pick that they received in the Jody Meeks trade. So kind of nice to have two more assets in the cupboard for Milwaukee, even if they're not, you know, of huge quality. And then basically the Wizards got Sam Decker out of that. Sorry, Sheboygan fans. Uh, and then the Wizards also got a second round pick from the Cavaliers. And then the Cavaliers, as I said before, basically swapped that 2021 second round pick with with Milwaukee. And then they also get Matthew Delvadova's triumphant return to the mistake on the lake and John Henson. So very, a very fascinating transaction to me. One, because it doesn't really involve any huge, amazing players, but there's a lot of huge implications for this team, both a little bit this season, I think far more for seasons going forward. So Riley, what was sort of your big takeaway when you heard that this trade went down? You got to think it's, a tacit signal from Horst and Budenholzer and the organization as a whole, at least in my opinion, that they're trying to push all the chips in for this year. Um, and they were able to kind of signal that while only yes, giving up the first round we can kind of talk about that. That's risky, but 
to have improved a little bit of that second rounder where you're not totally hamstringing yourself. I mean, in 2020, the Wizards could be completely folded as an organization at that point. So who knows how <laughs> valuable that'll be. But the fact that you were able to swap out two guys who weren't going to provide you anything this year, whether because of injury or they're just not good enough in those two nigh untradeable contracts. I mean, this is this is the trade that uh, emphasizes the fact that there's no such thing as an untradeable contract nor untradeable contracts in one deal. So um, to be able to get rid of that, get two guys who in theory are going to be able to produce and contribute and at least provide you a little bit more depth that positions that you need it. Um, to me, I thought it was just saying, we're going all in. Now is the time to win, which I think is heartening for a lot of people. And I think that's probably the right place to be. And Kyle, what about you? It's it's weird, I guess. That's like <laughs> the one thing I can think of. Because the last few years we've been saying they need to trade Delian Henson's contract. They need to trade. And it was just viewed as untradeable. No matter how available they were, it just couldn't happen. And the fact that it just out of the blue turns out is like, oh, yeah, all you got to do is throw a first-round pick. And somehow an injured Henson has more value than I ever expected. It's just kind of wild how that just turned around out of nowhere, but it's it's a good move on horse part. Um, if this doesn't say we're going to try to be players come 2019 on July 1st, I don't know what does. And even if you don't get, you know, keep your players like Bledsoe and Middleton and Brogdon and Lopez, you still have the potential to get other players now. It's not like you're kind of just limited to only your own guys. So, I'm going to give Horace a round of applause for doing it because, yeah, there's that first-round pick, which kind of stinks to give up. But, I mean, if you keep Giannis, that pick is going to be in the 20s. And with all the protections, it kind of does help the Bucks in case of worst-case scenario. You could still have that lottery pick if that if it were to get to there. Yeah, and for any – just to, to go through the, the complicated logistics of those of those pick protections that the Bucks 2021 – basically, they sent a 2021 – first round pick to the Cavaliers and to get into it, as many of you know, the, they also sent a first round pick to the Suns, which has very interesting protections on it. So basically the Suns would get it next draft. If the, if it is somehow within picks four through 16, which if the bucks continue this way, likely won't be the Suns would get it in 2020. If it's through uh, any of the bucks or any finish anywhere from eight to 30, which is, basically most likely. So you can expect that pick basically to be conveyed in 2020 to the Phoenix Suns for the Cavaliers pick that 2021 pick is protected is uh conveys, sorry, excuse me, goes to Cleveland. If the bucks finish anywhere from 15 to 30th in 2022, anywhere from 11th to 30th, 2023, 11 to 24th, and then nine to 30 in 2024. Or, and then if it doesn't go over yet, it'll become two second round picks. So the interesting thing about that, of course, is the NBA Stepien rule, which dictates that if you cannot trade first round picks in two consecutive drafts. So basically, if we're working under the assumption that the that the pick is sent to Phoenix, the first round pick is sent to Phoenix in 2020, then that 2021 pick really won't convey until 2022, likely if the Bucks finish anywhere from 11 to 30. So there's a lot of really interesting wrinkles to this. Uh, so Riley, what do you think about all of the, the protections that they've placed on this pick? Was it is it too much of a gamble to have to give up an asset like this? What did you think about that? I didn't mind it all that much. And the rationale is... Um, it's kind of like in years past where it's like, we're going to win now, but the differentiating factor being that we have Giannis on the team. And as Kyle said earlier, 
one of the main facets of this trade is the fact that you're going to clear up so much cap space for yourself to either bring back the team or kind of swap things out the supporting cast. So I don't mind the protection so much because you kind of looking at it like how the Houston Rockets have looked at first round picks where it's like, okay, I mean, we're going to be so competitive that in theory, the picks are always going to be in the high 20s. So it really won't be as valuable to us as it would be under other circumstances. And we'll be able to kind of figure out enough on the margins and with trades and through cap minutia to be able to build up enough of roster around the growing talent, still growing talent that is Giannis to still compete. So I didn't mind it all that much. I know some people rightfully, you know, value draft picks as a cheap way to add really, you know, really valuable talent. But, uh, assuming that the Bucks continue to retain Giannis. Um, and even if they don't, I mean, the team's going to be selling the tank at that point that I'm not sure it'll really matter. So I don't mind it. Uh, go for the win now this year. And then in theory, you clean or wipe the slate clean next year to kind of retool and see where you go from there. What about you, Kyle? Do you think, do you think this was too high of a price to pay or do you, do you think it's, it's worthwhile basically at this point to, for this Milwaukee team to be fine, sort of sending out another first round pick. And so basically for a couple of years there, they won't have a, a cheap guy under contract who could become an impact player. I'm a little bit torn, but I think if to give up that first round pick stinks, but to have the cap flexibility of getting rid of your two worst contracts, I think it's worth the price. It's going to be interesting. Like I said, what they do this upcoming summer is really going to define whether it was a good trade or not. Because if you, you know, give yourself this flexibility, but then you pretty much just set the money on fire by giving someone a bad contract, then, you know, that's not going to help. But the main point of doing this is to win now. So you can convince Giannis that this team can win now. And really this team really, they, they can win now. They can beat Toronto in a seven-game series. They can beat Philly in a seven-game. They can beat all these other teams in the East. So it shows that this team has the ability to compete for a championship. And if that convinces Giannis to sign the multi, you know, the super max extension, then it's worth it. It's completely worth it in the end. So, yeah, it's a little bit higher than I would like. But at the same time, if you can get rid of untradeable contracts, and what we saw with kind of freed kind of earlier really set that market. So it was going to have to happen. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I mean, I'm, I've certainly been on the boat. That was one of the reasons I actually liked the butt hiring most is that you wouldn't have to go sort of through a, a growing period that you might have with a fresh coach. And when I think this, this period is so important to show Giannis that you're committed to winning and trying to convince him and, and ensure that he will stick around. So that was one of the reasons I liked the butt hiring. And so going in like this makes sense, especially when you, Think about where those picks will likely be. You hope they are. It's good they're trying to get a couple more second rounders, though, especially with the Bucks having a good amount of success in the second round so far. It's good to try and retool the war chest a little bit that way. So you guys are talking a lot about this being like a, a win move for, for this season, a win now season. So I, th- I thought of this trade a lot in terms of – I thought in terms of this trade – a lot more as a, a future focused move than anything on the court this season. Like I, I, I guess for me, I'm dubious whether George Hill will make that big of an impact. Uh, Jason Smith, I think is just kind of whatever personally. So I'm curious about your rationale. Do you think, do you think this makes the team appreciably better? Like, do you think this is something that will actually have a, a really strong impact on them uh, on the court this season, Riley? Uh, I think that's a good question. Um, I would say it weirdly probably revolves more around what Jason Smith brings. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it really depends on 
Thon because Thon has had like every Thon season that's ever happened so far. He's had his positive moments and then he's had his negative moments where um, Jason Smith, who I had no idea he is an 11 year vet. Uh, that's, that totally came out of nowhere for me. Um, the fact that he's kind of like Brooke Lopez almost where he's slowly transforming his offensive game to include the three point shot. Um, I think if he can come in and be a little bit more reliable on both ends, the anchor, the backup units, um, that has a value all its own in the regular season. And then Hill, I agree with you. I mean, I'm real wishy-washy on whether or not, you know, 2016, 2017 Utah Jazz uh, Hill is the real guy or if the Hill of last season between Sacramento and Cleveland, who, I mean, he didn't look washed, but he looked, you know, not as great. If that's the Hill that we're getting, which is probably more likely than not, then he might not nearly be as valuable, but then you only have the guarantee one year. So I kind of look at it as Jason Smith probably is an X factor. And then both guys are playing in what are proverbially proverbially contract years. So they'll have their own incentive to kind of go out and perform to the best of their ability. So you're right that they probably won't be like game changing. We went from a 55 win to a 60 win team by bringing in these guys, obviously, but um, just a little bit more depth. Again, like I said earlier, swapping out two guys who we're definitely not going to give you anything for two guys who might give you something. I think that has a value all its own. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for sure. And George Hill obviously has a lot more, has a good amount of experience in the playoffs. I think that's something that'll be really interesting to watch with this team, considering so many of these guys, especially all of their core players basically haven't advanced super far in the playoffs. And of course we don't have to rehash the uh, Eric Bledsoe performance so far uh, in his, in his games against the Celtics. Kyle, this was something I, I was thinking about was the, you know, I, one of the cool things about this trade getting done so quickly is that basically now these salaries of Jason Smith and uh, George Hill can be aggregated in a, in a trade come February. So basically they could be added on into a trade to try and make sure that the, the money matches between teams. So I think that's obviously a smart move to keep the flexibility open for this team. And it's something I'm not necessarily going to rule out because I, I I guess I wasn't thinking as much about I don't I don't know who the Bucks could really sign for a free agent to get that much help. Brooke Lopez is is clearly the kind of guy that they probably want to target. They do have like the mid level exception that they might be able to use on him if they're interested in trying to retain him uh, at a, at a higher salary. But you know I guess I was thinking about this. I don't know how many teams actually are are looking to get off money for next season so do you think that's an avenue the bucks could explore is trying to use this george hill contract as as bait because it is a sweet one with only one mil guaranteed this next year so you can basically get 18 mils of million dollars worth of, of dead salary and get it off your books quickly i i want to say that but i think george hill will be sticking around i think he brings like a veteran presence that bud's gonna want especially in the backcourt um would I be surprised if they ended up trading it? No, but I just don't see it happening as much. It would be nice if there was a team that was able to take on that salary and give Milwaukee a lot, like even more cap space than they have created for themselves. But I just don't see it happening. I think Hill's going to be part of that rotation is kind of going to be competing with Dante and Pat Connaughton and Sterling Brown. It just depends on who the hot guy is, is going to get the playing time. Um, I didn't realize Jason Smith was an actual player, what he did, or I couldn't <laughs> line up and brought it to me, but you know, it is what it is. I, I am kind of worried with that trade though, what that means for someone like Christian Wood or 
even, you know, more Giannis at center lineups. Yeah. And I don't know the Giannis at center lineups have been, have been interesting. And like we, I think we've talked, we've talked about this in other, in other uh, podcasts of ours. So, you know, I don't know. Jason Smith will be an interesting piece, obviously a backup piece really. I mean, if he's, when it matters, I doubt he'll even see the court that much in the playoffs. He'd be a guy though, that when you look at it, it's like, Okay, do we trust Thon in there for five minutes? More to your point, Riley, that you were stating earlier. Do we trust Thon in the playoffs for five minutes? Or do we trust Jason Smith more in the playoffs for five minutes? And so maybe that's sort of the calculus that they were thinking about uh, up to this point. You, you talked about, Riley, you, you you guys had both sort of mentioned this as like a, a, a agreement that we're kind of in the win now mode. Do you think it was also a tacit acknowledgement of the fact that maybe this is the core that they want to keep going forward as they want to try and retain all of these guys for next season? Or do you think maybe they're just trying to free up money to see if they can add some other impact player? I, I mean, how can we really know? Right. right. Um, I think for me, it probably leans more towards, I'm not sure if it's about bringing everybody back. I definitely think it's about opening up the flexibility to have both options, but I really wouldn't be surprised given the fact that, you know, the Bucks work so hard to get that deal done. Like we were saying right before the aggregation deadline would seem to suggest that they have their eyes on, you know, something else out there and whether or not it actually comes to fruition, who knows, but um, I'm not sure if it's necessarily a signal that this is the go-to group. I think um, it's more so signal we're going to open everything up. And if another guy who is valuable, <clears throat> uh, Bradley Beal, um, <laughs> if he becomes available and if they're infatuated with him, um, then I think this opens up the option to go grab him. I don't think it guarantees that everybody that is a part of the core now comes back. I think it's more so let's give ourselves as much option as much flex as much flexibility as possible. We've seen what we did bringing in guys this past off season, how much of a success that has been. We figure out throughout the season who's, you know, part of the core heading forward and then you can kind of work from there. So plus it's like a little bit of extra insurance in case Chris Milton gets, you know, the kind of deal that if they don't want to go for this max deal for him, and if he finds them somewhere else, then you give yourself a little bit of a uh, breathing space there as well. Yeah. There's a, it certainly makes the discussion about next summer a lot, a lot cleaner. And Danny, the Rue wrote on the athletic and he knows the cap far better than me. Just talked about how the books could somehow find a way to keep, keep all these guys, Brogdon, Bledsoe, Middleton and Lopez and still stay below the luxury tax. So require a little, a little bit of, of, of cap smithing there. Yeah. I, I guess for me, it was, I don't know if I, maybe it was some lingering thought in my head about how old bucks teams, you know, they might have a little bit of success and they'd have these guys that they bring in and they're like, Oh, these are our guys. Hey, this success, we need to make sure that we retool and keep these guys around. And then that got them a little bit into the situation that they're kind of in now uh, that they, or that they were in where they had these players who were signed to contracts that, they weren't really be able to play up to them. They were kind of hamstrung and then they basically had to use an asset to get rid of them. So I, I mean, obviously the players that we're talking about are of significantly higher quality, I, I would say than, than the players like John Henson and, and Delhi that Milwaukee has brought in in the past. But I guess that philosophy, it's still sort of stuck in my head and taken root and made me think, well, maybe that's, maybe they're just trying to make sure that it's easier. So they can keep all these guys when, I don't necessarily know if that's the right move. So I like that they're able to potentially aggregate this stuff. And if they spot someone maybe at the trade deadline that they would have control over them, then um, I guess that would make more sense to me if they're trying to acquire some guy than if they're trying to acquire some guy via free agency to fit in before they sign guys using bird rights. Since I just, I just have a 
I kind of doubt that Milwaukee would be able to kind of get that uh, marquee free agent. I feel like there's not a whole like, obviously they have the city and, and market and all that kind of working against them. And I don't know how many players they have that are kind of working in behind the scenes in that, you know, shadow texting of the NBA, USA basketball type connections. I know Chris Middleton is kind of on the roster, but I don't know if they're like doing that sort of active recruiting type type stuff. Who's uh who's like the second best Greek player right now? In the league. <laughs> Whoever he is, let's go get that guy. That's that's the connection. <laughs> we'll just make an all Greek team with the occasional Australian to keep our international flavor. No, uh, uh, Adam, kind of just on your larger point, the one thing that I would say about the fear about the win now mindset kind of um, seeping its way in is the fact that we have Giannis, obviously, and it's not so much for me, it's not so much win now so that we can prove to Giannis that we're serious about winning so it'll stick around. I mean, obviously, that has a component to it as well. But I mean, you have one of the leagues, you know, whatever top five players and he's only 24 so in theory you he's going to be a top five five player for the next four or five years at a minimum um so the difference between win now now versus win now the past is the fact that you have this top flight talent and you don't have to you obviously have to worry you can't continue to make stupid deals but if you're able to play it right you can kind of get things on the margins and you have a lot more margin for error for lack of a better phrase to kind of work around yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point and, and, and a good way to look at it. So, well, I don't know. Do you guys have any other cl- closing thoughts on this trade? I feel like we kind of went through a, a good chunk of what is is going to impact the team on the court and you know going forward. So, I don't know. Any other closing thoughts? I don't want. We're not doing grades as much as uh, as fun as that would be. I'm sure to give grades on this. F. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, <laughs> no, the uh, the only thing I would say. Uh, just the it'll be interesting seeing how Hill's arrival affects the minute allocation between mm. you know primarily the guards because he's I'm not sure if you could say he's a traditional point guard per se but he's probably a little bit more traditional than like Malcolm as a point guard or whoever else we were throwing in there for substitute lineup so um is he I saw some people saying like he might start I doubt that very much so but um what does it mean do we get more Bledsoe Brogdon minutes which I think of like two-man lineups who have more than 200 minutes they have the worst net rating um of all the different combinations so those two for whatever reason don't seem to click nearly as well as other combinations do so if they have more minutes what does that mean for the team um is hill going to start taking up starting minutes like i think that'll just be kind of interesting seeing how bud works that around yeah and obviously we saw i mean we saw like we said we saw the wing rotation flip a, a little bit on its head tonight so maybe it'll be a situation where george hill is just fitting in and, and he's the kind of guy who has to take spot minutes as they come because it's it's tough to take brogdon off the court right now and obviously bud has been very leaning pretty heavily on him to close out some of these quarters and go through small stints where it's just brogdon and the bench which is generally not what i would think of as the lineup you would really want to do but they haven't been hemorrhaging points too poorly so far so I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe you throw George Hill into those lineups too, and then and then they're able to improve a little bit. Uh, to your point, Riley, Kyle, in, any other sort of closing thoughts on this trade? Um, I I think I still want to give more applause to John Horse. I mean, he came in with a bunch of bad salaries and a lot of question marks thrown in the roster, and it seems like he's able to slowly but surely make the moves that's needed to help the team in the long term, whether it is keeping Giannis or giving yourself cap space for, you know, impending situations. 
And kind of like what you two were saying, when you have a top flight talent, it's easier to give that core around him new contracts because at the same time you have that top flight. Well, before when the Bucks were offering these contracts, it was just because they were the best player, which is kind of sad at times. But I think I'm okay with the trade. I like it. I like the situation. And also Nick Kalithis is the second best Greek player right now, um, currently averaging about 19 points in FIBA European qualifiers. So he currently plays at Panathinaikos over in Greece. I Sounds like the next Luka to me. I, you know, <laughs> so I think he already had a stint in the NBA, wasn't he? Yeah, I remember Memphis? him. Yeah, yeah he was yeah, with Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not him. We'll so find like the third or fourth best Greek. Because I'm not saying Costa Kufas. Because no. If you yeah, if you Google him, the main picture that comes up general like genuinely looks the most like a creative player I've ever seen. It's got like a bald head <laughs> and it looks like have like a sharpie on beard. Oh, no. okay. It's uh yeah, that's that's a really good look for him. We'll uh, we'll have to post that in the comments. Um continue well, our trend of Jason. That has ties to the mafia, so I'm not <laughs> Oh gosh. Um all right. Well I, I feel this was just a this was just gonna be a quick hitter. Obviously, when something this big goes down, we got to talk about it. And I know John Horst didn't technically sign John Henson and Delhi to those contracts. That was his predecessor. Uh, but he seems to have, at least to this point, um, taken on his uh, his incredible John Hammond's incredible ability to also get out of bad contracts. Um, and you know, he was in the brain trust then. So, at least to this point, he's he's doing a decent job of it. So hopefully, he won't have to keep continuing to do that weird cycle. Uh, but right now it seems like the, the bucks have, have made a big trade and we'll see how this affects the on-court stuff going forward. And of course it, it'll have a lot more ramifications for, for next summer. So make sure to always check our stuff out on brew hoop. You can follow us at brew hoop on Twitter. Kyle's excellent thumbs are behind that. The hype train will be full steam ahead. We have a lot more games ahead and we'll probably come back with a, a full timed podcast sometime around Christmas. Maybe we'll have some holiday special stuff. Of course, you already heard our holiday movies that you were supposed to watch in the last podcast. So make sure to check all of our stuff out on Brew Hoop. We just added a new writer, uh, Brian Sampson, who was uh, in charge of the Bucks Film Room Twitter account. Excellent, excellent stuff there. He'll have some really good stuff for, for all of us. And of course, Kyle and Riley are always pumping out great content as well. So make sure to review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, go to brewhoop.com, the Bucks content you want is there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next time. On the streets of old Milwaukee Was a young boy walking